You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. See, the show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. All right, folks, welcome back to the uh, new, latest, premier edition of a week two preview about the football, MWR.com. You see, Matt, I changed the opening a little bit just because, why not? <laughs> Mixed Pretty up. Nice. We are talking week two. We have, um, have you, okay, I'll, I'll tangent talking about another podcast, which probably isn't a good idea to do because since this is our podcast, do you, you're a split zone duo subscriber to regular and their paid show, right? I am, and I would recommend other people would be too. Hey, I only do the five book tier; totally worth it. But their little spiel about I forget what show it was. They did a couple, but like week two, they set it up for week one to be great. Week two, well, not always great, and that translates to Mountain West when you have one, two, three, four FCS games. Not complaining, just saying. <laughs> However, we okay, do you, you say that, but there's some pretty good FCS teams in that bunch that we're going to talk about today. I know. I'm just uh, laying it out there. I'm just, uh, that's my thoughts. It's not bad. We have games and then there'll probably be a potential a couple blowouts, unfortunately, but there's, there's also some feisty games I'm very much looking forward to. So, but I just put it out there like, oh, my team's playing FCS. Week one was awesome. Week two, we're playing insert FCS team. I'm not going to insult in the podcast right now, but just saying there's a, there's a lot of games going on. I'm not going to complain this football. It's just uh, the hype train of week zero and week one. Sometimes week two leaves a little bit to desire, depending on the team. Yeah, but, but you know, as other people as other people pointed out, though, week two is when things tend to get gonzo. So expect the unexpected. There's a good point because when it's random teams playing that aren't say high high profile matchups. Like here's a good example. I'm looking at the top 25 real quick. Um, Tell me Arkansas State and Ohio State can't be feisty. Texas A&M, App State. 
Marshall, Notre Dame. There's some chances there, right? Oh, yeah. All right, but let's get to our game. Houston-Texas Tech is another one, which will be, man, if you could tune into that game, definitely do it. So, all right, let's get to our games. Friday night, the first conference game of the year, and it's not Boise State Air Force like it's been recently. It's Boise State at New Mexico, which, before we get to the game, it's 6 p.m. Pacific, 7 local time, CBS Sports Network. Broncos are favored by 17 points. Over-under is fairly low, 44. The best-dressed team is the Mexico Lobos. Those cherry red helmets have worn in like 40, 50 years. Those, Those are, are very aesthetically pleasing. Legit. I'm like, unless they – have they – if you haven't seen I'm going to do a quick article because those are fun to do and just talk about the uniforms. They are the cherry red, which they apparently haven't worn. Have they ever – I know in basketball they wore the uh, topaz, the, like turquoise color to yeah. honor the Native Americans in the in the area. Have they done a teal or topaz helmet? I know they did um, uniforms like lined about it. That would be amazing, I think. Yeah, I don't I not that I can recall anyway. But I, I would basketball. be all for it. I know basketball they do the full topaz in like the kind of red or I guess cherry or silver lining, but mm-hmm. football a little bit. That would be amazing. But this game, the big storyline, it's uh uh Matt, who's the quarterback for Boise State? And why is it not Higbachmeyer? <laughs> well that's, okay, but I mean to reframe that a little bit. No, I'm, I'm going no, to I mean, no, Nobody part. knows. Nobody knows who the quarterback is going to be because, you know, obviously we put up a poll, uh, over on Twitter at MWC wire. Uh, if you right. haven't followed us already. Uh, and I think if, I'm, if memory serves, Taylor Green got about 60% of the vote, right? Yeah. It was, he won by a decent margin, but it wasn't like an overwhelming margin. And I think it's sort of telling that. You know, not only has Andy Avalos made the move of keeping both quarterbacks away from the media going into this week. No, no, no. Um, the whole the whole season, I've heard. Oh, is it the whole season? I thought it was I, just for this week. I heard a couple. I was looking for it. I heard, I, I heard two different things. I know this week for sure, but I also, I'm trying to verify. I got a little hung up trying to get stuff ready this morning, last night. But I've heard potentially the whole season. They're not talking to it, but maybe I'm wrong. But I know at least this week. So there's a... You know, secrets and disappointment, all type of stuff. But regardless, they're not talking going into Friday night's game versus Lobos. But I think it's also equally telling that Bachmeyer is still listed as the starter on the current depth chart. You sure we're not? This is a Pittsburgh Steelers Mike Tomlin copy and air clerical air, copy and paste clerical air. <laughs> Did you hear about that? No, this this is this is not uh, <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky waiting. You know, just keeping the seat warm for uh, Kenny Pickett. I think. No, no. No, no, no. They put they made a mistake with Mason Rudolph and Kenny Pickett for the two and three. That's what it was. No, oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> yeah, that's why I made the joke. If, if you follow the NFL a bit, like I know we're busy doing this stuff, but I happened to uh, notice that. It's like, yeah, that's why I make the clerical error joke. For the four of you that laughed, I appreciate it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, but continue. And, and, I, know, he, and I know that we sort of st- I know we sort of started this conversation, you know, during the recap podcast a few days ago. But has your opinion at all changed as to who you think should be the starter in this game? No. Here's why. Hank Bachmeyer has started uh, 40, 50 games, essentially, in his career. So 45 games, essentially, right? I don't know if so, it's that many. I don't know the exact well, number off the top of my head. Well, but he's a fifth-year starter. We could say that for mm-hmm. sure. He started as a true freshman. Has he gotten better at all during his career? And I would, I could, I could confidently say, eh. He's almost the same guy that showed up and beat Florida State game one as he was last year and this year. Worse this year, honestly. I know it's one game, but 
he's played enough to where I'm like, give Taylor Green a chance to play because here's what could happen. Actually, I'll, I'll let you could, could say your thoughts on that, but I think it should be Green because Bachmar's played enough games to show his what he is. I know it's not his fault, but he hasn't shown that improvement from year one to now after starting dozens of games. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I necessarily agree because I think when you when you look at the numbers, he had his best overall season last year. What was the despite record? the fact that he, you know, despite the fact that he was beat up, you know. So I think, you know, to your point that you know he hasn't really received a lot of help, I think that that says less about him and more about the failures elsewhere on the offense. You know, he played Correct. most of last year without George Halani. He played most of last year with a very suspect offensive line. And, you know, there's really only so much that a quarterback can do when there's just not a lot of time to throw from play sure, to play. But look at Green a little bit more, can move around a little bit more, and that's what they need to make things going, to go for the offense. And also, that's why I think you lean with him. But here's the problem I could see going forward. It's almost like the Nevada issue, not issue, but Nevada likely or good chance to be 3-0. But then they play Iowa, and it could get a little dicey once they get in the league mm-hmm. play. But – Look, here's what they need to decide, like literally in this game, because they play New Mexico, obviously Friday, UT Martin, and UTEP. Any of the quarterbacks very likely should be 3-0 in those games. So let's say they, whoever they play, but Bachmeyer Green, and say they, they, they find a guy, it's almost like a false confidence because you're beating up on teams you should beat regardless who's under center. Even, I know UTEP was good last year, but they lost crowding to Arizona and they're, not as good as they were last year, so they're going to take a step back, even though it's a road game. But mm-hmm. if they're three and one, they're going to win the games regardless, and they'll have some confidence, and maybe that'll help. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it could also be false hope where you beat up on teams you should be beating, regardless of who's your quarterback. And then they roll into San Diego State, or they come into town playing the Aztecs, who TBD because their situation's not ideal at the moment. While well, they played versus Oregon State again the one week, but San Diego State, Fresno State, Air Force. That stretch is infinitely tougher than what they're doing the next three weeks. And yeah, they need to figure out who the guy is, but they could have some confidence because you're playing teams that are beneath you. And it may still show a problem when they host San Diego State at, on September 30th. Here's the thing, though. And, and this is not the same New Mexico defense that this Boise State offense was able to roll over last year. You know, in last year's matchup, you know, most of the, the early part of that game was defined by the fact that they had two blocked punts. And then, you know, they didn't necessarily, I mean, they ran away with it. Obviously, it was a 37 to nothing decision. Sure. But it's not like they racked up a ton of offensive yardage. Like, they averaged over six yards play on the ground. But it wasn't like it was necessarily a standout performance by the Boise State offense. And so... I get it. Given that, you know, the Lobos are coming off of a week one victory of their own, where, you know, with, you know, assuming everybody has a a clean bill of health, knock on wood, we haven't heard any, you know, injury concerns. The offense looked much improved, but it really comes down to, okay, if, if, if Rocky Long knows that Boise State has a quarterback quandary on his hands, you know, do you think he's licking his chops, thinking, okay, how am I going to attack this offensive line that's on its heels right now and and make whoever's life is under center miserable, regardless of who it is? No, because I get it. That's I think, the point. I think that's an equal I think that's an equal part of it. And I think, you know, given what we saw last week against the Black Bears, you know, the, the Lobos might be up for the challenge. Like I think you know, one of the biggest questions that they came into the year 
having to, to, to wrestle with was how are they going to replace Joey Noble's production? You know, how are they going to replace this havoc? Last yeah. week they had three sacks. So it would not surprise me if Long chose to deploy his linebackers in such a way that, you know, they were, they, they attack, you know, that offensive line unit, the, the Broncos offensive line in, you know, a similar kind of fashion that Oregon State did last week. You know, Oregon State only had two two sacks, but they had eight TFLs. They basically shut down the running game. And other than, you know, a couple of long runs by Taylor Green, you know, the the, the Broncos didn't have anything else to offer them. Like, you know, Bachmeyer, of course, was turnover prone. Taylor Green was okay as a passer. You know, he had the interception, you know, had a couple of nice throws down the field, but that was about it. And so... Yeah, you know, I think it's one thing to talk about this quarterback situation in a vacuum. There's more you than also that. Have to remember I know. that you know there's there's a, there's an opposing unit that's going to be ready to exploit this. I think if the Broncos aren't prepared, that's why I honestly think the 17 is kind of a lot. It might be, like like you're right. Last year they they mentioned special team scores and Rocky Long knows what he's doing. Like okay, they beat Iowa 40 or not? I'm just not thinking ahead. Maine 41-0. It's also Maine. It's SCS team. However. I always want to give credit to when teams do what they're supposed to be doing. Where New Mexico, honestly, in that game, I didn't think they'd score 40 points. I didn't think they showed up the team. But had they won 28-10, that's probably the result I was looking at for against Maine, just because New Mexico, mm-hmm. honestly, hasn't been very good. They go out and dominate. Fresno State would have dominated. The, when Michigan played Colorado State, they dom- dominated. Games like that where you know the results you're supposed to win and they like Alabama, Utah state a bit bigger than I thought. I thought Utah state would do a little bit, but it was a dominant victory as we expected. And they accomplished the job and New Mexico did much better job than most people thought. I know it's, it's a big step up in opponents, but you're not wrong with what Rocky Long can do what Danny Gonzalez could do. And also the boys of mystique is dead. They're nothing. They're just a team in the conference. Now they're fine. They're good. They still might win the conference. I don't think they will, but there's a chance, but there's no, oh, we're playing the Broncos. They're going to come out and score 50 points and have eight sacks and negative four rushing yards against us. Their offensive line is bad. George Hahn is not a good running back at the moment. They have a quarterback situation. They have no downfield threat and no wide receivers. Tell me how they're going to be good this year. And they honestly, New Mexico, I don't think they'll win, but they're going to make this game closer than it, most people who don't follow the closely will, will I mean, they'll be closer than people it's- think. It's going to be a big opportunity for the New Mexico front six. You know, the, yeah. those three guys in the defensive line and those three and those, I mean, I, I say front six, but they tend to run like five or six linebackers out there at any given yeah. time. Um, <laughs> Athletes. You know, they, and, and the only temporary absence to speak of is Alec Marenko, who's going to miss the first half of the game uh, because of a late targeting call in the second half of last week's game. But other than that, I think, you know, if you're, if you're a Boise State fan looking for an avenue for a rebound, you know, I think more so than the the offense, more so than the quarterback situation. I think it's going to start with the ground game, because they got stuffed big time against the Beavers. And in this game, they are going to have a substantial size advantage over the New Mexico front lines. You know, there's there's nobody in New Mexico's projected starting lineup, or rather, they're too deep even. That's over 275 pounds. So when you look at this Boise State offensive line where you know all five guys in the starting lineup are over 300 pounds, if you can't assert yourself and run the ball between the tackles or, or off the edge or whatever, you know, whatever, whatever you need Polani and Ashton GT to do, if you can't do that against this defense, then I think you're thinking long term that they might be in some serious trouble. 
So it's it's one of those things where it's a real critical opportunity for both sides to be able to seize the upper hand because I think that's going to do a lot to dictate how this game plays out. I may honestly change my pick. I posted a website, not for straight up, but I may make a switch here. I know mm-hmm. um, uh, I need to adjust Rogers' picker. He made a slight error in the points against and the straight up victory, but mm-hmm. he's he's the only one that picks New Mexico. I'm not, I don't think they'll win straight up, but. Uh, I guess, um, yeah, because it was 16 and a half when we started. But long-term problem, offensive line, it's been a problem for since day one for Bachmeyer, like when he's been out there. Like this mm-hmm. this offensive line has taken degraded year after year, and to Brian Harsin, continue to Andy Avalos. And if you don't – I know it's going to say you don't want up front, you don't win the game, but what has Boise State been known for? Like, remember the streak of running backs? Doug Martin, Jeremy McNichols, um, Alexander Madison, multiple senior running backs – or I guess whenever they declare for the draft, have all been selected or drafted in the NFL. And this is this, since um, Madison's with the – or not Dolphins, excuse me. That was JJ. Also, JJ, who got knee issues, but he got drafted, played the Dolphins for a minute. But Madison's the most recent guy. They don't. Have, we figured George Sonny would be that guy. They haven't had a good running game in years. And that goes to the offensive line and coaching staff to not develop and recruit the type of, right, type of guys out there. And when you have a quarterback who – Clearly, pocket passer guy and run offensive running games not working with your backs. You're getting beat up on the offensive line. You bring in Green, he can do play action, he can roll the pocket, he can move more to create some more of a dynamic. Because the second half for Oregon State, they did look like a better team out there by actually scoring points. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think, like, I don't know, the Mexico, I don't know if they'll take advantage enough of, but I just think Boise's just whatever. They should, I think it should be Green's team going forward and not Bachmeyer. He brings more to the table and more upside when this guy's you've known what he has for 40 plus games. I mean, I think regardless of whoever ends up in a center, you know, another thing that's going to dictate this particular game is who makes fewer mistakes. And I, and I say that because, you know, New Mexico for as, for as good as they looked last week, you know, I wrote in the, in the game preview that it wasn't an A plus performance. You know, because, you know, obviously Miles Kendrick had the, you know, the two interceptions, but they also had three second half fumbles as well. And, and while that, while the game was more or less in hand by the time that came around, I think that is something worth keeping an eye on because, you know, that same kind of fumble luck is one of those things that it's impossible to predict. You know, this Boise State offense, if they're able to pull it together, should be good enough to to make the Lobos pay for those same kind of mistakes if they make them in a way that Maine wasn't last week. You know, they had the two interceptions and then, you know, New Mexico got it right back, you know, the first one right back on, on the interception. And then the second one, I think, ended with a three and out. But that is exactly the kind of thing where the, if the Broncos have their head on straight and they come into this game and they have figured some things out, that could, that could flip pretty easily. And this game could end up looking like, you know, more of the same that, that, that this matchup has looked like in recent years. Yeah. So how do you see it? What are the main numbers say? Cause we spent a lot of time in this game. We got 12 games to go through. So what is like okay. FEI stats award, all those fun stuff. Say? So SP plus likes Boise state in this game to give them an 86% win probability, uh, projected margin of 18.4 points. Uh, FEI likes the Broncos by even more and even 25. And uh, according to Parker Fleming at Stats O War on Twitter, uh, he gives the Broncos a 91.65% win probability, a projected margin of roughly 20 points between them, 41 to 21. So what's, what's your score? 
What do you think? Or projection? I think it's going to be a little more competitive than that. You know, what was the what was the line on this game again? Uh, it currently, uh, we had on our sheet is sixteen and a half, but right now it's all seventeen. Like so, if you check our I like schedule, the, I like the Lobos to cover. I think this game will be a lot more competitive than last year's because you know a lot of things, you know, everything that was going wrong for the Lobos by by November of last year, you know, it was more or less a foregone conclusion. That's yeah. not going to be the case this year, but I do think that Boise State will find some answers, put it together. I have the Broncos winning thirty-one to seventeen. I'm almost in the same category. I'm going to go like I just changed my pick now. So we checked the website and our week two kind of our uh, scoreboard pick section. I had Boise straight up and cover. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be th- I'm going to go 30 to 17. So like right, right, right within the two touchdown range. I right, yeah. So because I just think so. Real quick, who's going to start for quarterback? Who do you think is to take the first snap for Boise State? Who do I think it'll be? Yeah, like not I, who. I who think- should, yeah, who do you think? I think it'll be Bachmeyer. But I if agree. it were my decision to make, I think I would go with Green. Exactly. I'm right there with you. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. All right, next game. 12.30 Pacific, 1.30 local time, Colorado Buffaloes out of the uh, Pac-12 time for now uh, <laughs> at Air Force. Regular old CBS. I am shocked. This spread is bigger than New Mexico-Boise State at 17.5 in favor of Air Force. Is Colorado just that bad, Matt? Are they dreadful after getting trounced by a bad TCU team last week? Well, they were they were dreadful last year. Yeah, I'm just saying. Everybody transferred too. That's a problem as well. <laughs> yeah, that too. I mean, and I think you know the the story of last week's game. And I went and sort of reviewed what happened against TCU, and it's really kind of a story of two halves. It, you know, at halftime, the Horned Frogs were only up by one. It was only seven to six. Yes, yeah, so that. And 
And the Buffaloes, coincidentally enough, you know, they had a, a total yardage advantage of roughly, I want to say like three to one. You know, they had 212 yards of total offense in that first half. They were averaging five yards per play. Second half was a totally different story. And and really the story of the game was the fact that the wheels just came off on the defense in particular for the Buffs. You know, they gave up almost 350 yards of total offense, almost 10 yards per play after halftime. And, and oh, by the way, you know, they also gave up a couple sacks and things like that. So I think that's where you start thinking about this game where, you know, Colorado was not a great team last year. No. And and they weren't a particularly explosive offense in, in the opener against TCU. You know, they, they only had four passing plays that totaled about 100 yards. So they had a handful of nice explosive plays. But, you know, a couple of those came after the game was already well out of reach. It was in the fourth quarter. So it's like, you know, what, what do you make of that exactly? Yeah. And I think if you look at what TCU was able to do on the ground in particular, it wasn't like they had a 100-yard rusher in that game. But basically every single player that they had carry the football in that game had at least one big play. Um, you know, on the ground they had eight eight total big plays that totaled 218 yards. If, if your Air Force, especially coming off a performance like he had against Northern Iowa last week, where you ran up over 600 yards on the ground, you know, you're Mike Beeson, you're Troy Halhoun, you are licking your chops. Especially since the Buffs also didn't really offer much resistance. They had zero sacks and three TFLs as a team. So while they did bring in like some, some players like, you know, Josh Chandler Semedo, who was a tackling machine at West Virginia, mm-hmm. you know, he had one TFL, he had six tackles last week. You know, they, they have some like decent pieces in the front seven, you know, Quinn Perry, uh, Jalen Stryker, but you know, the more, the more you look at like what Colorado actually accomplished last week, the more you come to understand that, you know, they, they, it's not an explosive offense. No, it's they average. It's yeah, not a particularly good defense either. So Air it, Force should be able to assert itself early and often in this one. Yeah, yeah I know that on their game notes, they put their averages. I know it's one game, but 5.73 yards per pass attempt against TCU. Attempt. 103 yeah. in the nation. They're okay completing the pass. No doubt, like I mentioned, no downfield threat. Not efficient. Offense, running game, not bad, but still 3.9 yards per carry is not good. But they just, yeah, they, they're also, what am I looking at here? They're okay in third down defense. I know it's one game. No, very few TFLs. Like, it's a team where, I know Air Force numbers are skewed because they played uh, Northern Iowa, the FCS team. But when you, I don't care, you play average nearly 10 yards a run, nine and a half yards a run. Like, you're, there's nothing. Buffaloes will offer little resistance in this game. And yeah, Colorado I mean, is they very found bad. themselves They found themselves behind the eight ball quite a lot against TCU. Like they were six of 15 overall on third downs. Their average third down distance was basically third and nine. It was 8.6 overall, which, you know, when you break it down and you see the fact that, oh yeah, they were also two of eight on third and long. That sort of tells you everything you need to know about where the Buffaloes are right now. Yeah. They are not a good team at the moment. And 17 half seems like a lot, but it's low scoring. So they're projecting like what? 30 to 13, somewhere in there, 35, 17, somewhere in that range. But something I, like that. Yeah. It's, I just don't know what like JT Shroud's going to do throwing the ball. He was barely 50%. He d- didn't even crack 160 yards passing. 
I just, the running game, I know the blocking rules have changed a bit for what you can cut block and all that type of stuff and how receivers can engage. That's been forever. But mm-hmm. I just don't see CU coming up and stopping Air Force. Even if Air Force cuts their percentage by 20%, they're still, what's that? They had 600 yards, 580th. Even if they rushing for 400 yards would still be an easy victory. Which... Yeah, and I think you know one of the one of the things that the the Panthers were able to do against the the Falcons last week is you know they were able to stretch the field a little bit, or they were at least able to rack up a fair amount of yards after catch. And when you look at what Colorado did last week, that isn't something that looks like it's going to be a strength of their offense. Yeah, you know, they had exactly one you know one guy who had more than ten yards after the catch in last week's loss. Um, and, and oh, by the way, he had 23 yards after catch, but he had, uh, he had three catches for 17 yards. Mm. Jack Estera, the, the freshman. Yeah. That sort of tells you everything you need to know. Like you, this does not look like an offense that should be able to stretch the field or at least attack down the field in the same way that you and I did. Yeah. It looks like what, see, you look at what their coaches and stuff are saying with basically they want to, which makes a lot of sense, run the ball, get that going early. Then hopefully they exact quote, relieve the stress off the quarterback. That's what they're yeah. thinking. Our mindset's always to put the team on our back and go going into every game. But so, like, if they can get the ground game going, maybe that could help Colorado against Air Force. But quarterback play wasn't good. They didn't run the ball very well. It's just a Air Force probably beat TCU. Like, I'm not gonna lie, I don't see TCU being that great of a game or great that great of an opponent. But I just think the air, ground game is gonna be too much. That deep threat, which was over Air Force, kind of was not kind of was pretty good, just in the limited throws they do, obviously, because they don't, they don't throw a ton. They may have found mm-hmm. their deep guy. But I just don't see Colorado having enough offense to uh, get this game going, like to keep it either started going well or even keep it close. To the Air Force defense, there's still some questions, and they acquitted themselves well with a couple of TFLs, four pass defense defended against the NIU, or UNI, excuse me, where they'll be fine. to throw it downfield like the Dane Kinnaman get that 80-yard touchdown pass again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you necessarily count upon that every week. I know, but when you when but but against this defensive front, like you know, th- this was a problem last year. Their their inability to create havoc, and it's looking like it's going to continue to be a problem this year. And in this game against this Air Force offense, um, you know, I would not be shocked if Air Force ran away with this one. All right, so what are the literally and figuratively exactly? What do the advanced numbers say then for this one? So SP plus likes the Falcons. Uh, they give them a 90% win probability, a projected margin of 22.3. 90%. kind of a surprise. FBI also likes Air Force by 16.5. Uh, Parker Fleming at Stats of War. His advanced stats preview gives them a 93, gives the Falcons, excuse me, a 93.57% win probability with a projected margin of about 35 to 14. This Colorado team might be the worst team in the Pac-12. Uh, I think it probably is the worst team in the Pac-12. Them or Washington State, right? <laughs> well, Washington State sort of came around last week against Idaho. We'll talk more about them later. Dude, they won by seven points. Come on. <laughs> so so who do you like in this game? Air Force big. 40 to 20. I like Air Force bigger. I'm going to say Whoa! 42 to 10. Oh, boy. <laughs> That's 20 points too much, I guess, for your liking. I, I mean, if, I'm, I'm, if whatever the line is, I'm taking Air Force. Okay. I think that I do. This is just a bad matchup for the Buffs. Yeah. Next game, UNLV travels to Cal. Um, Pac-12 Network 
Bay Area edition if you want to watch this game. So get that FUBA link. We have the fine pack full Bay Area. Hey, that is correct. One o'clock game, local. game preview on uh, mwwire.com has that direct link that you can sign up with. Excellent. And we're doing a Q&A with, um, I think, our buddy Jackson Moore, who does all sorts of stuff for those teams out there in Northern California. Oh, yeah. So he's going to do that for, I forget his website, apologies. Just search uh, 24-7. He, he does a lot of things for 24 He basically covers all of the California teams for 24-7 sports. Yeah, he does a lot. So just check the Cal website of that. So he does Fresno a lot for sure, but Cal. Yeah, and Fresno. He does, he does, he San does, Jose, he does Hawaii. all of them, except for, except for San Diego State, I think. Yeah, and uh, Hawaii as well, I believe. I see this name, yeah. name over there. So this game, 1 o'clock local at was it, Memorial Stadium. Cal's a 13-point favorite. That's too many, Matt. That's a lot of points for this Cal team that uh, they're not. They're not Colorado, but they also played UC Davis last week, won thirty four thirteen, which is fine. They were put the game away late in the game, like they kind of slowly a slow burn that third quarter when they scored. Was it um, fourteen points or yeah, two, two couple touchdowns to put them away? I I'm. I like UNLV, man, but they, the only thing we take away from the first game, they're in the ball pretty well with, uh, with Jaden Ott. Jack Plummer looked fine, had three touchdowns and one pick. They spread the ball around to a million receivers, which is, I think, main, namely Jeremiah Hunter. But UNLV had the bye week. And remember, they put up, I know it's, like I said earlier, I don't care who you play. They beat a bad team in Idaho State and put up 50, over 50 points. That's something they don't do typically ever. But I'm, I'm liking what they do because Cal with Justin Wilcox, they haven't been great. He's known, namely a defensive specialist or maybe former, but that wasn't really the case last year as all that much. And trying to take too much about the opener versus FCS team, but I think if UNLV does a few things right, there's a there's a chance right here in the Las Vegas Sun. UNLV football win at Cal would boost hopes for first bowl game since 2013. And uh, I'm kind of leaning that way a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really going to come down to is how much of that offensive explosiveness are they going to be able to maintain against the Cal defense that is that is much, 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 much better than Idaho State's <laughs> was. Yeah. And I say that because, you know, one of the things that Cal did well last week was in – you know, it was in defending the pass. You know, they, they forced UC Davis to throw 50 times – and, you know, their, their quarterback, the Aggies quarterback, Miles Hastings only had 242 yards, had two interceptions. And I think most tellingly for the Golden Bears as a team, they had six pass breakups too. Yeah. So while, you know, up front, they were only, they only managed a couple of sacks, only managed four TFLs. I think it's going to be sort of the, the thing that makes or breaks this game because Cal has a very talented secondary in particular. You know, they have Daniel Scott, the safety. He was, you know, one of their veteran guys. Um, you know, they also have, you know, an upcoming sophomore, Lumagia Hearns, third. It's a unit that, you know, showed out pretty well as a whole in, in, in a game like, you know, we, we just talked about with UNLV. It's a game that they should have won pretty handily against the, against UC Davis, and they did. Yeah, defensive score. So I think, you know, if you're looking for one thing, if you're looking for the X factor, it's it's how well is the passing game in particular. So like you know not only Brumfield but all all those pass catchers who had all those explosive plays last you know in week zero, mm-hmm. Ricky White, Jeff Weimer, Kyle Williams, are they going to be able to keep it up against a secondary that's going to be much better prepared to handle them? Yeah, there's that, and then also like Xavier Carlton had a sack and a half. So they got to protect and give the quarterback time to throw as well. They can't yeah. just let him 
there has to be room to do that. And it'll it, obviously the level of difficulty is magnituded times what twenty? I don't know, somewhere in that range times ten. Yeah. But like they also did defensive touchdown when you had uh, Craig Woodson with that pick six who missed all of last year's injury. They have young guys starting too, which it's a home game again for them. Like their running back, just a sophomore or excuse me, freshman plumber is a for getting his first start last week. So still a bunch of younger guys out there. But yeah, the secondary, if that's the play, Kyle Williams, I'm trying to pull up what he had in that opener. He wasn't elite in that game. He only had four for 68, but overall 15 yards per pass, pass catch by everybody as a team. But Ricky White was the guy that really stood out. They get, if they get White, Weiner, or Williams, or Weiner and Williams going, like, what, Two, uh, maybe not all three, but if two of those three have a good game, that might be enough to get it done. Yeah, and to that point, I think another thing that's going to be really important for the Rebels in this game is getting off to a similarly fast start. Mm-hmm. Because that was one of the things I think is, is was sort of the hallmark of last week's game, uh, you know, uh, Cal and UC Davis. In the first quarter, Cal had minus one yards of offense. Oof. But then I think equally importantly, they were able to turn it around before halftime because in the second quarter, you know, they, they went in down seven to nothing and went into halftime up 17 to seven because they racked up over 200 yards of offense in the second quarter. And I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that, you know, yeah, they got off to a slow start, but Plummer in particular had, you know, a pretty nice amount of, of big plays in the passing game. You know, he was 23 of 35, you know, 268 and three touchdowns. But I think one thing that's sort of telling is in the second quarter in particular, he had four big passing plays, which, you know, if, if you've watched a lot of Cal football over the last handful of years, that's not the case. That's more than, that's more than you probably expected to see. So in the same way that, you know, UNLV's ability to attack the Cal secondary is going to be really important, it's going to be equally important that UNLV with with Noel Williams and Cam Oliver and everybody else in that secondary, that that they are equally capable of of sort of keeping Plummer in that Cal offense contained because they looked a lot better than they did for long, long stretches last year. And while they may not have like you know a whole lot of all conference type guys, you know Jeremiah Hunter's a solid guy. You know he had six catches on nine targets and a touchdown last week. J. Michael Sturdivant. You know, Jaden Ott had a couple of catches out of the backfield. So it, it is more than a functional offense. And that's something that UNLV is going to have to be prepared for. Yeah. Cause looking what, like, just wrapping up real quick, like the number, I know they played Davis and it's hard to really know, but they, again, they got things done. They got to win with the three TDs by Plummer overall, like in the game itself. Like it's, they're going to be, I, obviously, the Rebel defense is going to be better than what, Cal Davis, well, or excuse me, uh, yeah, sorry, UC Davis, mm-hmm. not Cal Davis. But yeah, the, the offense is fine. It's not elite, like you said. It's going to be okay. Like, when you're running back, oh, it's really good. Plummer, really good. They played quite well. 100 yards, rushing 268 passing. So I don't know how, if that'll translate over, but they have a good, an offense. This is not the Cal offense we saw, like, when they played Nevada a couple years ago, where they struggled to score points when they got, like, two touchdowns. That was last year. Yeah. It was last year. Oh, that was 29. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Thinking gummy years mixed up. It was a closer game than we thought with what Nevada's offense would be with, uh, Dubs, Romeo and, um, Carson Strong chucking the ball down the field. So mm-hmm. what's your predictions for this game? Or, or first, let's give our, um, advanced guys some love and what they're thinking if Cal's going right. to win or not. So SP plus does like Cal. They give him a uh, 77% win probability projected mm-hmm. margin of 12.7. So not not an overwhelming amount. 
Um, same thing with, uh, with FEI. They favor the Golden Bears, but by just 14.2. And I probably should have pulled up the advanced stats preview. <laughs> Give me one second. Um, Parker Fleming at Let Stats of War gives Cal a 74.08% win probability projected margin of about nine points between them, 30 to 21. Hmm. Interesting. I, man, I'm going Rebels with the upset win. I predicted on the website, UNLV is going to get a win and be 2 and 0. 2 and 0 for the first time in who knows how long. <laughs> I think I'm with you. I mean, I predicted Ooh. it before, I predicted it before the season. Like, you know, I, and I'm not necessarily, unless I see something catastrophic, I don't usually change my picks in the first few weeks. Sure. I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a good game, maybe a lot better than a lot of outside, you know, observers would expect. I'm going to take UNLV 28 to 24 to win this one. I'm going to go 21 17 for the Rebels. Big upset, obviously. Also, this is from the Las Vegas Sun. Two and O teams in the Mountain West, which Nevada is at the moment. You don't know if he could be. Um, sixteen went on to qualify. Sixteen went on to qualify for a bowl game of seventeen, ninety-four point one percent. So basically, if they win, they're going to bowl game. That's a fun fact. That is, I just read through. Yeah, so only one team, but they don't say the team that didn't do it. So I'm curious to look back who that two and O team was that didn't make a bowl game. But there's a just saying if they get two and O, they're only got to win four more in the West, uh, Hawaii. We'll see. San Jose State didn't look great in their win. We'll see what Nevada does, but they're looking better. But next game, this will be a quick one. Northern Colorado at Wyoming, 2 p.m. in Laramie, Mountain West Network, uh, themw.com backslash watch. If you want to tune into that game. Is there any other way to watch it, like local TV, or is it just on the uh, internet at the Mountain West website? I, I don't believe recall. this uh, – I know that there are three games that are streaming through the Mountain West Network. I believe – this is the only one that is available only by streaming. Okay. And there's a couple of local TVs, like the, the CSU game and Nevada game. But this game, there's no line, obviously. Um, Wyoming. So here's the big thing about this game. I'll make, make this one quick because we got a lot of games to go through. I want to see a repeat performance of last week from the quarterback playing Andrew Peasley. Because I don't want to see – I know it's Illinois, Tulsa. But I just want to see if he can get in the same ballpark where he did last week, going up against a team that's – they should easily win the team that's just on the road in, in Northern Colorado. And because Beasley is now 50% near passing, obviously a big improvement from week one to week two. I want to see either, probably possibly or likely I'd want to see even a bigger improvement. But if he's comparable to last week where he was 20, 30, 256 and two TDs, I'm fine with that. I still want to see a regression going back to week one or even close to that. I think what I want to see is whether or not the the Cowboys defense can bottle up this Bears offense because you know and and maybe you can you know sort of frame it in such a way that you know they, they lost to a Houston Baptist team last week that didn't win a single game I believe in 2021 and and while the the Bears gave up 46 points you know they they scored 34 points too and they ran up almost 550 yards of total offense including over 400 yards, 427 through the air. So while it was definitely like a mistake prone kind of, you know, team, you know, they had 14 penalties as well. You know, this was a team that was much improved in terms of like their ability to move the ball from where they were a year ago. You know, they, you know, over, you know, the the total offense, the, you know, the fact that they were also 10 of 19 on third downs, three of three on fourth downs. And they did it 
you know, despite, you know, sort of having to change quarterback midstream, you know, in their, in their recap, you know, they mentioned that Dylan McCaffrey, the starter who is, is currently listed atop the depth chart. I haven't seen anything about his health status, but he did get banged up in, in last week's game. And they didn't miss beat when they had to turn to Jacob Sermon. You know, both of those guys came in, played well. It's, and especially coming off of last week's game against Tulsa, where Davis Brin was able to go out and, and really shred this Cowboy secondary. What I'm wondering is, well, okay, is it going to be deja vu all over again? Because, you know, UNLV's got some pieces, you know, they've got, you know, two quarterbacks who look like they're, you know, improved, you know, they've got at least one reliable receiver in Travis Graham, who went off in that game, and they have a, a, you know, a decent running back tandem in Elijah Dotson, who, you know, I think we talked about it briefly during the offseason, you know, he was a former thousand yard rusher at Sacramento State. So it's, it's not an offense, all of a sudden that looks like it it can be taken lightly. No, that's uh, yeah, you're right. Like, well, I mean, at this point, they can't take anything for granted based off week one. And for Craig Bull's sake, they need to make sure they get things rolling. And exactly. it's, it's not like they should win. It shouldn't be a problem. But I just don't want to see them go back to last week. Maybe tighten up the defense a little bit because Tulsa put up 37 points on them. But that's kind of what I want to see. Where just uh, get a improve upon last week and don't. Sh- I don't want again. It's simple. I don't want to see them doing things where it looks bad and they kind of revert where we're complaining about the team and the quarterback play and everything, Craig Bull, Pat, job status and all that type of stuff is up in the air. Mm-hmm. Just get the job done. If you're a team that could go bowling and like a fringe dark horse team to maybe win the division, show up and win this game by at least three touchdowns. I think that's a, I think that's a fair uh, bar to set. All right, so what's your score prediction for this one? So I do want to note SP Plus does like Wyoming to to win pretty comfortably. They've given them a 91% win probability, 22.8 points. And I think that sounds about right. Um, I think, you know, the defense might give a little bit of ground, but the offense, you know, considering what Houston Baptist was able to do them, I would be shocked if the Cowboys couldn't do it as well. Uh, I'm going to say 42 to 20. Wyoming runs with this one. I'll go 38-17. That they'll do enough to get in there and do all that, do what they need to do. All right, then. All right, next game, we have uh, Middle Tennessee State, Colorado State. The interesting matchup here. You have the uh, Rams, who the line swelled up. It's currently, as of a uh, time of recording on Friday, Thursday uh, mid morning, it is sitting at 11 points. I believe it opened. I'm trying to check what we put on our, um, if you check a website, mwire.com, where I have like our staff picks. As of 9 6, it was what, six and a half, seven and a half? Let me see here. Eight. So it's gone up three points in favor of the Rams, which is interesting after the initial line. This one against us locally on, um, was it? Oh, Some shoot, channel I have never heard of in my yeah. life. It's like channel Evoca? four or something. Evoke. Yeah. I have no idea what that is. It's the first time I've ever heard of it, but it is also okay. streaming the mw.com slash watch. Yeah. You got to look at a website. It's technically, um, let's see. It's, um, local three Colorado Evoca TV. Be- or local three. It could be like one of those my TV channels, like the offshoot of some possibly yeah. other affiliates, but it's usually my TV, but that's kind of faded away. So that's how you get the game. It's a 12 o'clock or should be two o'clock local one o'clock for the Pacific folks out there. And they're playing middle Tennessee state who is Owen one. And my main goal in this game for the Rams is like, uh, can Dante Wright get us pull, put up a statistical number in this game at all? Is that possible to have a, even if it's one catch for minus a yard, at least we know he's on the field doing something. That's kind of what I want to see a little bit. So I'm going to say, I'm going to say, and I can't remember if we mentioned this specifically at all during the offseason, 
But I was I was looking back at, at Middle Tennessee's game last week against James Madison. So New, you know, we know newly minted brand, FBS. <laughs> they say brand brand new to the scene, and they blew the Blue Raiders out. They're like we're you know, FBS. It's basically team. A, a, a essentially a five to one margin in terms of total yards. And you know, the more I looked into to MTSU, the more I thought about something. That, you know, Stephen Godfrey over at Split Zone Duo had brought up at some point in, in the last couple of months, how he had said, and I forget the exact quote, but it was something to the effect of that, you know, this Blue Raiders team under Rick Stockstill is maybe the most fossilized football program anywhere in the country. He says it all the time about Middle, Middle Tennessee State because where they're located, they're near Nashville and there's decent recruiting area in that part of the country. Um, also, before we move on that real quick, did you see who James Madison's quarterback is? Todd Centeno led the team in rushing and passing and do I need to apologize or is it, is, or can I just blame on Steve Dazio for not using him right where he had almost 400 yards of total offense, 397 on his own. Six yeah, touchdown Cente- passes. Centeno wasn't terrible, but he wasn't great. He was, he was fine for the most part. He wasn't used properly if he can do this. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. So yeah, that like what Godfrey says, it's like they're in an area where they should be not great, but they should be, above average, like they're in an area where they can get the leftovers, but also, but look who's in the area, Middle Tennessee State, Memphis are at the border, obviously Tennessee, and they're in the SEC area, so a lot of the guys who are wanting and living in that area, but it's like almost similar to like a mini Texas area, where well, if you're a, when TC was the Mountain West, like you could be a fifth tier team, even right now, like a fifth tier team, technically, when like going through the pecking order of Oklahoma comes mm-hmm. in, Texas, all those teams there, they should still be able to field a pretty good team with like the, not to be disparaging, but the non-elite talent in the area, almost like leftover guys, like, well, you're still good, and they want to hang around home, like in that in that part of the country, and like, oh, I'll stay in Tennessee and whatnot. In uh, was it Murph Murfreesboro? Is that where they're located? Murfreesboro, State? yeah, Murfreesboro, got it close. But you think they put together a decent team just because of location based in talent around them, but they get whopped, walloped by a brand new FBS team who James has is very good at the FCS level. But the quarterback situation, three yards a pass, attempt, excuse me, couldn't run the ball to save their lives. Their decent receiver, Nusafali, had 80 yards, or excuse me, 60 yards, eight catches. But besides that, they got, they, I guess they get to backfield decently with all those TFLs versus James Madison. Maybe that's the thing they can somehow improve upon and get to the Rams' backfield. But overall, they cannot move the ball offensively. Maybe that's what the Rams need a team that's like maybe literally fossilized in offense, can't move the ball to help them get to victory. Yeah, and it, you know it's it's going to be really interesting to, because we know, and I think you know our, our CSU writer Josh Fredlin pointed this out in his game preview. On paper, these teams are very similar to one another. They both run four two fives on defense, and they both run the air raid on offense. And so I think that the keys on both sides are relatively similar to one another. And so one thing that I'm really interested in following in this particular matchup is you know to your point. Middle Tennessee State on paper has a pretty good defensive line. You know, the, the the name to watch is Jordan Ferguson. He was one of the best defenders anywhere in Conference USA last year. Mm-hmm. And you know, despite the lopsided loss last week to JMU, you know, still showed out for the most part. Still had eight tackles, had a tackle for loss, had a forced fumble. Like he's a guy, like if they if they line him up against Brian Crespoquez. You know, it's going to be the kind of thing where, you know, even if he doesn't necessarily have Michigan type speed, he's exactly the kind of guy who could continue to pose problems for an offensive line that looked overwhelmed last week. 
but he's got company up there too. You know, Zalen Wood is a very good player in his own right. You know, Marley Cook, Jordan Branch, like all of those guys played extensively last year. They are all returning starters up front. But if Colorado State can survive, if they can adjust from what happened last week, you know, I think that, you know, behind that defensive group, this is a defense that could be exploited. And I think, you know, if, if not necessarily Dante Wright, this could be a major opportunity for basically everybody in that passing game to take a major step forward. So like we saw Tory Horton, you know, score the lone touchdown last week. He had a couple of other close calls. You know, I think there was the one catch where he had a, you know, he had very tight coverage on him last week against the Wolverines. Couldn't quite come down with it. Yeah. But this, but this smacks of the kind of matchup where if they can give Millen time to throw, I think Colorado State's receivers should be able to beat this secondary handily and, and rack up yards after the catch in the same way that, you know, Gene Orville's receivers did at Nevada. So I think, you know, other than like Teldrick Ross in that, in that middle Tennessee secondary, I don't know that there's really anybody else that the Blue Raiders can rely upon consistently to stop these, to stop these Rams receivers. Yeah. It's, there's, I don't think so. It's, it's, but yeah, with Clay Millen's could be a big game for him. But you're right, the amount of Mike Stolval, all the guys we mentioned going through the receiving group, there's uh right like my big thing, give it to Wright and see what he can do. I want him to get the ball. That's the main thing. They should win regardless. Shouldn't be an issue. And Middle Tennessee State is they're gonna be 0-2 and kind of just Yeah. And it, it's, I mean it's it's gonna be a big opportunity for the offensive line too, because or, or excuse me, for the defensive line for Colorado State. Because they didn't really produce all that much against the Wolverines last week, and that was sort of to be expected. That's just the talent disparity between those two teams. Yeah. But but Middle Tennessee got beat up front on offense early and often against James Madison last week. Four sacks, 13 TFLs. Yeah. So I think if you're if you're looking for clarity up front, you know, and and I think it's worth noting too, they're gonna get Devin Phillips back for this game too, you know, on the interior. But if they can attack with more consistency, like if, if Mohamed Kamara can get some help, you know, he had the one sack last week against the Wolverines. You know, if, if you're going to get clarity for that sort of pressing question that lingered throughout the offseason, it's going to start in this matchup because I think Middle Tennessee, you know, they've got some problems up front. And I think that Chase Cunningham, for as, as good as he looked last year before he got injured, he didn't really get a lot of help last week. And, you know, this is exactly the kind of game that the Rams, you know, if, if they're serious about, you know, bouncing back big time from the Adazio era, they need to come out and have a big performance on both sides of the ball and, and really shut things down. All right. So what did the Vance numbers say for this one? So, um, curiously, SP Plus sees this one as a pretty close game, though it does favor the Rams. 58% one probability, 3.5% projected margin. Uh, same for FBI. They favor the Rams, but by just 3.2. And, uh, middle, uh, excuse me, Parker Fleming, advanced stats preview gives the Rams a 63.79 win probability, projected margin of about five points between them. I'm going to say 20, it, it's 20 to 23. You going to be that close? I think I, Tennessee's a mess, man. But you said 28, 23 though, right? Not oh, no, 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 that, was the, that was that was the projection. Sorry. Oh, sorry. So what's your? Oh, sorry. I thought you said twenty. Okay. What's your score? I then? I do not think it's going to be that close. I think Colorado State comes out, wins big, gets Norvell's first win in Fort Collins, Ooh. thirty-eight to ten. Okay, I just heard your score. I'm like, why well, is half? 
This is weird. Okay. I have Rams win big two. Um, it's 11 right now. I still think they can cover that 11. I think they'll put up, I'll go 40 to 14. Defense, yeah, a few things here that'll work on. So, all right. Next game, the game you're apparently telling me to be, be wary about incarnate word at Nevada, two and oh, versus one and oh, at Reno, one of the games that's on Nevada Sportsnet or the Mountain West website, dmw.com backslash watch, excuse me, 2.30 Pacific, 3.30 Mountain Time. $9 to get in, Matt, which is a bargain for this game because you apparently are still, uh, despite Incarnate Word losing multiple players and coaches, that they're going to do well. But yet, you're not wrong. 64 points in their opener against Southern Illinois. So uh, they still got the and, offense. And mind you, mind you, that that was a top 10 Southern Illinois team as well. Ooh, it was. I didn't realize that. Ooh. Yeah. So, so you know that 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 uh, the GJ Kin era in mm-hmm. uh, I believe they're I believe UIW is in San Antonio got off to a very yeah. good start, and it and it really does start on offense for the Cardinals. So like, you know, it's going to be a a step up whether the Wolfpack like it or not from New Mexico State and Texas State. You know, the, the Cardinals got some dudes. You know, they, they, of course, they lost Cameron Ward. They lost Eric Morris, their head coach and their, their quarterback and their head coach from last year. Who cares? Lindsey Scott. Kid is in. <laughs> Lindsey Scott. And, oh, and I know that we talked about him, you know, a little bit during the offseason. You know, he was uh, a transfer from, uh, I'm trying to remember exactly where. And I'm looking it up as I go. He was, where was he at? It doesn't matter. He's great at this place. Yeah, I just I, I had it before. I know we talked about it. Anyway, he was he was basically he ran for almost a thousand yards in his last stop, and he had over two thousand yards. Of, of, so basically, he's a dual threat guy, and that was more or less exactly what he was against Southern Illinois last week. Three hundred and ninety-one yards on the day, not bad. Um, and you know, I think also it's worth keeping in mind that they they have one of the best FCS receivers anywhere in the country too. Taylor Grimes, who's you know pretty close to rewriting the record book for that program, last week, what did, what oh did he have last week? He had three, three, three catches, two touchdowns, hundred twenty-six yards. They had three different receivers that had one catch of at least sixty yards and six over thirty. Yes, it's crazy. Ken Wilson, hope you're up for the challenge. Yeah, and and oh by the way, like you know the the defense, even though they gave up a lot of ground, like they they gave as good as they got last week too. You know they had you know a couple of big time performances from Kalechi on the Alabechi. Mm-hmm. You know thirteen tackles, three TFLs. Caleb Colter safety, eleven tackles, two TFLs. You know that was sort of a, a thing that they were up and down with last week, as far as their or last year rather their ability to create havoc, but I think the early returns, you know, and, and they've been able to supplement those returning veterans with newcomers like Chris Whitaker, who was, I believe formerly, and I looked this up earlier, I apologize. He was at Florida international, sort of a part-time player out there at FIU, but he had two sacks last week uh, against SIU as well. So Nevada is going to have to be on their game because, you know, UIW, if they're, if they're not careful is going to be, the kind of offense that could light up the scoreboard. But I think if, if you're a Wolfpack fan, you can maybe have a lot of confidence that, you know, especially the way that the secondary has played through the first couple of weeks, that they'll be ready for that challenge. But I think, you know, it's probably a, a reasonable argument that Scott is the best quarterback that they've played to date. And that mm-hmm. Grimes pass catcher is the best, is the best wide receiver they played to date. 
Yeah, they'll seem to get to the quarterback, cause uh, Scott to be uncomfortable back there, and that secondary's got locked down on whoever the, whoever's catching passes because they get throw it to a lot of yeah. people. And I know yeah, that. I mean, honestly, honestly, I think this is the kind of game where you know the way that that, that Wilson and offensive coordinator Derek Sage have set up this offense to sort of you know be a ball control offense, limit possessions. Mm-hmm. That might actually work in their favor, especially if the defense continues to play at a high level. Yeah, I, you're making me wary on my picks here, Matt. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't think it's I don't think it was any secret that Incarnate Ward was was a good team. No, they I came see, into the year ranked in the top twenty five. I had concern just because of what they lost last year. Not necessarily. I figured they'd be. I know they'd be the good SIU team, Southern Illinois. I just wasn't sure if they would still keep that same pedal to the metal, get going. But it's like Western Kentucky. It doesn't really matter if they have the place plays in set and guys in system for a little bit. It's not a big deal. They'll be just as good. I just wasn't a hundred percent sold until they played a the game that they'd be this good. I knew they would be a good opponent, but I just figured they'll take a step back. But yeah, I think if there's if there's one potential Achilles heel that Nevada could exploit, I think it's the fact that. You know, the offense, the UI, the UIW offense was pretty one dimensional last year and, and sort of remained so for the most part against Southern Illinois. You know, they, they ran the ball 28 times as a team, but they only averaged three and a half yards per carry. You know, their, their leading rusher, you know, Gerald Wiley had 35 carries on three attempts, but 33 of that came on one carry. So they've got a little bit of explosiveness, and, and and I think that's it's worth noting that Scott could definitely take on a much larger role in that regard. He had thirty, excuse me, uh, twenty three yards last week and a touchdown on the ground. But I think if Nevada can get more up front, you know, this is exactly the kind of game where like Dom Peterson could go in and, and cause a lot of nightmares again, the same way that he did last week against Texas State. And I think he could be encouraged by the fact that last week against the Bobcats he started to get more help up front too. So if they can continue moving in that direction, put pressure on Scott, keep him bottled up, and, and the secondary can do its job, keep Grimes, Darian Chafin, and everybody else bottled up. You know, I think Good. that is the likeliest path to victory. Mm-hmm. They just they have to, you know, make the they have to make the Cardinals one dimensional. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be tough. But hey, you know, even if they are one dimensional, throwing the ball, that still might be good enough to beat the Nevada Wolfpack. Yes. I think it's that good because they didn't run the ball well last week, but because they didn't need to. So that's, uh, if they throw, because usually he threw 20, Scott threw 25 times for nearly 400 yards. Yeah. So it's like if he throws 35 times and gets even still 391, that still could be enough to beat Nevada. But it's going to, it's going to be a, it's going to be a big game for both sides. Do we have numbers on FPI and all that or SP plus? They put numbers uh, out for the only, the only one that does FBS versus FCS matchups is SP plus. Okay. SP plus does like Nevada in this one, not by an overwhelming amount though. Only a 60% win probability Yikes. Uh, projected margin of about 4.5 points. Does it give a final score? Does Bill C do that or no? Uh, yeah. Projected score of 28 to 24. It's not a lot of points. Hmm. Not really. I'm going Nevada, but I'm not sure the score though. I will go. I think Nevada's going to hold serve at home too. I think they're going to need more out of their offense to do it though. I think they'll get it. I'm going to say 31 to 27. 
Yeah, that's uh, yeah. I think uh, I'm about to say I'll go 34-28. Another game next up: Utah State hosting Weber State, and uh, FCS team Weber State is uh, number eleven. No, no, excuse me, not number eleven. They're number sixteen. One and zero in the FCS ranks. They beat up on Western Oregon, who's uh, a Division two school. Last time they played, this mm-hmm. game is on another Mountain West Network uh, streaming game, and it is a uh, kick is at five p.m. local time in Logan Maverick Stadium. Weber State and Jay Hill, known for the offense, recent team to make deep runs FCS playoffs over the past couple of years. Um, obviously, Logan Bonner didn't play much last week, mostly for again, you don't want to get cut in half by Will Anderson or body it was snatched. <laughs> what did I say? I, I, I said I just said it was Bama. Oh yeah, That's yeah, yeah, yeah. All. I'm like, did I see the wrong team? I was like, Will Anderson. Like, Wait, is that wrong? Now, yeah, he didn't want to be taken from the top rope like The Rock or some insert wrestling person here to body slam or throw it off the, out of the ring. So eminently reasonable course of action. Yes, he played a little bit. So this game, we appreciate will provide some resistance on offense because they can they have some players out there. Again, top twenty FCS team, not a pushover. Should be a reasonable win for Utah State, but I think they it's hard to go in this game. I guess what we want to see, because they had their opener. Um oh shit, I don't remember who they played their first game. They played uh UConn, that's right. UConn. Improve a yeah, play better in that game because that game was closer and inconsistent. It's kind of Part of what Aggies did last year where they weren't, they're kind of just screwing around, not really putting teams away or falling behind early. Then like, Oh crap, we got to score a lot of points. Like their second quarter when they went, went on that 24 0 run last uh, couple weeks ago. I kind of want to see them get out to kind of a, a faster start and get Ty- Calvin Tyler out there, Logan Bonner going. I kind I just want to see like a quick movement on the offense and kind of get up maybe like 17 0, 17 3 after the first period. Yeah, I mean, I really want to see that passing game in particular get back to basics. You know, I want to see more of, of Brian Cobbs, who, you know, g- you know, given the circumstances of last week's game, like, you who know, it, it's easy to obscure, but like, he's been pretty good through two weeks. You know, he's, I believe, tied for first in the Mountain West with 10 catches to this point, you know, over 140 yards receiving. Like, he's he's been as good as advertised, given the circumstances. But I also want to see more consistency elsewhere in that passing game. So, like, I want to see them keep Bonner on his feet. You know, I want to see more from Justin McGriff, Kyle Van Leeuwen, Terrell Vaughn, wherever else they throw out there. I just want to see them, you know, come out swinging in the same way that they did, you know, once they sort of shook off the rust against UConn, mm-hmm. which, you know, we, we know that historically the Wildcats have had a – they've typically been led by their defense. And I think that this year – is going to be no exception. You know, they got a couple of nice pieces in their secondary, you know, especially like Eddie Hecker, the cornerback, I believe is an all conference type guy. But it, this is also the, you know, the, the kind of talent that the Aggies have on offense. You know, they should be able to go out and, and sort of reestablish themselves in the same way that they did, especially in that second half against UConn, because I think, you know, that, that week zero game was, was the, the way everything shook out. And I know I mentioned this before. It was it was exactly the kind of game that primed everybody for an overreaction, no matter what your perspective was. Hundred <laughs> percent. And then yes. against Alabama, you really weren't going to learn every, anything. But I think in this game, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. like Weber State is a competent FCS team. Yeah. But Utah State is good enough. You know, like you know, when you want to compare it to the game we just talked about, Nevada and Incarnate Word, different dynamic at play here. Utah State should be able to you know win this one handily. Yeah, they should win. I, I'm gonna just we gotta move on here. I'm gonna go 31-10 Utah State. Yeah, um, they they excuse me. SP Plus does like the Aggies in this one. Also, not by as much as you might expect, though. 
Um, they only give him a 68% win probability, only an 8.2 uh, point projected margin. Mm. I think it's going to be a little uh, a little more comfortable than that. I'm going to say 33 to 20. Okay. All right, next game, which I was hoping for upset potential, but now after seeing San Jose State struggle with Portland State, not so sure. Uh, they're going to Auburn, ESPNU, uh, 430 Pacific. Um, I guess Auburn, who cares what time zone they're in? 430 Pacific going up against former Auburn or Boise State coach, soon to be former Auburn coach. Uh, yes, I said it, Brian Hartson. Oh, you think so, huh? <laughs> that's a, that's Dude, a bold claim. Is it? Please. That's like eating a freaking green pepper over like a shit, some, something hotter. Come on. New AD. They tried to fire him in Mexico for cause. If you look up dirt on them, come on. That fake thing about the uh, assistant or whatever it was, like, come on. Mm-hmm. Uh, 23 and a half point favorite for Auburn. Matt, it's only $9 to go to Jordan here if you'd like to go. Just saying. It's not bad. Uh, 23 points. San Jose State, I would have been more bullish on them had they put away Portland State, but they looked bad in that game. And so that's where I'm like, this is going to be a long day for them. And, hey, you know what the good thing about Auburn is? They don't have Bo Nix anymore. <laughs> That's true. He's, he's he's still getting trashed by Georgia, though. Exactly. That, that, that some things never change. Auburn uh, they face they faced Mercer last week, forty two sixteen. There's not a ton to take away on that performance just because they beat up on a bad FCS team. Quarterback play they kind of split guys. Whatever. Tink Bigsby's the name too. Really on offense. Him running the ball. Plus uh, Javarius Johnson had a hundred plus yards and only four catches. So they have a decent. They have a pretty good offensive attack. So that's kind of where San Jose State needs to uh, step up and slow down the running game, which I think will be the biggest concern they're facing this week with Brent Brendan and everybody. I don't know if I agree with that. Oh, why and that's you only because, I mean that's that's mostly because Auburn is another team that's trying to sort out its quarterback situation. That's why I said the running game's important. They, <laughs> yeah, they, because they they played two you know quarterbacks last week against Mercer. T.J. Finley got the start. I believe Robbie Ashford came in either on the first or the second drive, though. And both guys played pretty right. well. You know, I like Mer- Mercer isn't a great team, but I think, you know, Ashford in particular was sort of interesting because, you know, he only completed four passes, four of seven, but he had a hundred yards. Uh, and, yeah. and he had, you know, a 49 yard run that, that, uh, that helped get him out of the shadow of their own end zone on a scoring drive in the first quarter. But I think if if I'm San Jose State and I'm thinking about, okay, well, how am I going to build an upset bid in this game? It's going to start by frustrating whoever's under center, exactly. which I think is going to be easier said than done because you know, one of the one of the relative strengths of this Tigers offense is the fact that they were returning, I believe, four different starters from last year. Catch is, though, one of those starters actually medically retired just before the season got underway. They're, they're, uh, they're veteran center. Um, and then whose name escapes me. I'm trying to look it up as I talk. Um, you know, he medically retired before the season began. And it's the kind of thing that like, you know, it, it, you know, center is obviously a very important position. Nick Brahms, you know, had okay. 33 career starts. He's replaced by Tate Johnson. Things worked out well in the opener, but it's also the kind of thing like, you know, if, if everybody on the interior, especially Lando Gray, Solani Toya, other other guys who are going to be in that mix, if they can get penetration at the point of attack, if they can frustrate the running game between the tackles, that is when I think things could start to get interesting. But I also recognize that that's something that is likely to be easier said than done. 
totally agree with what they're trying to do. Even the guy, they got new guys up front. Mm-hmm. I just this game, like Auburn, what are they supposed to be? In the SEC, whatever division, middle of the pack, West, yeah, West. I forget East West. Them and yeah, it's they play Alabama every year, and it's they're in the West as well. It's it's not right down, the, but they're behind like Texas A&M, Alabama, maybe LSU. I don't know. Tennessee, are they in the West? Yeah, they play Alabama, Tennessee every year. Tennessee's in the East. Oh, they are? Oh, they just happen to play yeah. Alabama every year. Never mind then. I was trying to think like where are they pecking in order to be. I know Missouri's in the West because they're way out there, I think, I believe. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But Auburn themselves, like Brian Harson knows his team a little bit. And so that's – I don't know if there's too much to take from that because he has the more talented team overall. Yeah. And so that's – it's a little – a little leeway, but it's also a new quarterback compared when he's been there a couple years ago because he wasn't there. When was his last year? In 2019? 2020? Uh, yes. Yeah, 20, yeah. So, because this is year two for him at Auburn, right? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, oh, yeah. So he was, yeah. Okay. You're right. So he was there in 2020 as well. But he knows, like, Javon Cordero, quarterback, Kate Hall. I think if we're looking at San Jose State defensively, like we mentioned the quarterback situation, the running ball, running the ball. But I think the guys like Kate Hall and Fajoko, those type of guys need to try to – that might be a key because I don't know if San Jose State with how inaccurate or – not inaccurate, but erratic is probably the better way she have on Cordero can be. They need some consistency in the defense. They're going to have to provide that. And that's where I think they might have some success out there. It's just uh, – I don't know. It's hard to tell when they play Mercer. It's like I don't want to go too much off that last game. But I think San Jose State has some talent, obviously, guys defensively to – maybe make things interesting against Auburn. I just, ultimately, that Portland State game looks really bad. And, like, it was more of the offense issue than defense against Portland State. And so I think defense possibly could hold their own and do a few, do some good things with – they do have talent there. But Cordero, like Kerry Robinson, they got to figure something out offensively to put up points because this is not going to be a low-scoring game like it was for Portland State. They're going to need to – if they're going to somehow pull through upset, they probably got to get to near – probably at least 30 points. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I honestly don't think it's going to be that close. And I think the thing that is going to make the difference in this game is, you know, I see this as potentially being just sort of a repeat of last week's game between Colorado State and Michigan. Because if Portland State can cause that much chaos to San Jose State's offensive line, what what exactly do people think that that guys like Derek Hall, Colby Wooden, Eku Leota, NFL-type guys – what are they going to be able to do against this offensive line? I don't know, man. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, it's the kind of game that's sort of, I'm starting to think more and more like it's the kind of contest where we may not actually learn much about San Jose State in this game because they're going to get beat so badly. You think it's going to be that type of game where like an Alabama-Utah State matchup? I do. But Auburn's not, overall, not impressing me. Not impressive to be that good. Like nationally, I should say. So they're not a top 15 team by any stretch. I just I, I have that concern because if, if San Jose State struggled that much against a, a a decent but not great FCS team, yeah, then I hear you. you know, the talent the talent advantage that Auburn is going to bring into this game, like what is that going to look like? You know, in, in terms of like their ability to move the ball. Okay, so what did the advanced numbers say in this one? So uh, SP plus, uh, I think it, it tends to agree with me, uh, gives Auburn a 95% win probability, a projected margin of 28.2 points. Um, same with uh, FEI, favors the Tigers by 27.9. Uh, 
And uh, Park Fleming, his advanced stats preview gives the Auburn Tigers a 96.86 win probability, projected margin between the teams of roughly 34 to 8. Okay, what do you say then? What's your number? Uh, it's going to be a long day for San Jose State. I've got Auburn winning 42 to 10. 42 to 10. I'll go a little more confident. I'll go 38 13. That's still like Auburn. Actually, yeah, yeah, I'll go 38 13. Next game, which might be similar fashion, fashion, uh, I don't know how much more time we got to take on these two games because the final game I want to get to, we already talked hour plus. Hawaii at Michigan. Michigan is going with the other quarterback this week after switching back and forth. Who actually played last week, which is weird when Harbaugh's like, nope, we're going to stick with one guy. But number four, Michigan, uh, 5 p.m. Mountain or Pacific time. What's that? Two o'clock Hawaii, Big Ten Network, eight Eastern. If you want to get all the time zones in there, I guess. 51 and a half point favorite. Matt, would you take the over at 67 points if the spread's that big? Yeah, I would. You think it'll get 70 maybe total? I think Michigan could. You think, is this, let me ask you, is this a bigger blowout than versus Colorado State? Uh, yeah, probably. Is it be, okay. I know the teams are better. CSU's better, but do you think Michigan will do that though? They, I know they probably can. Is Harbor going to put up like 60? I think they probably could without breaking a sweat if Vanderbilt could do it. Oh, shots fired. All right. Uh, what can Hawaii... and, and, and I'm saying this because, you know, I've, I've seen enough from the Hawaii defense in particular that, you know, Vanderbilt is, I mean, they're a team with SEC speed. They've got, you know, some talent on the, on the come up, but like this was a team that, you know, it's, it's not a secret. They were the worst team in the SEC last year. And they beat this Hawaii team by 53 points. Hmm. You know, they, they, you know, the Warriors hung around for a little bit against Western Kentucky last week, but the Hilltoppers beat them by 32 points. There's just, it's, it's the kind of game that, you know, considering how much work appears to need to be done on both sides of the ball, the offense has been mistake prone. The defense has given up way too many big plays. Mm hmm. Like, you know, Michigan could probably not break out a ton of, you know, thrills from the playbook. They could play it relatively straight, just, you know, pound the rock with, with Blake Corm and Donovan Edwards, you know, let, yeah. you know, JJ McCarthy pitch and catch a little bit with guys like Roman Wilson and Ronnie Bell. They probably don't need to do anything that fancy to run away and win this game by at least 40 points. Hmm. Makes sense. I- like, can Hawaii, what, what, what do we want to get out of Hawaii? Cause this, this could be a game like the Alabama game for Chester where you just lose 48 to two or something, some weird score like that. Michigan sails a punt, a snap punt because it's at the two yard line. Is there anything we can learn from Hawaii? Like, what do we want to see from them to say, Hey, there's something to be known about this team. Defense isn't very good, clearly. Their best offensive talent is, uh, what Parsons there who has a hundred plus yards in two games. Schrager seems to be the quarterback, but I'm betting Joey Yellen will see a decent amount of time because it's like, well, you're playing Michigan. It's a, there'll be a blowout. Let's see what you got. I just don't know what the, what the goal, what is Hawaii's goal within their program? They would Timmy Chang, like, what's our goal in this game? We're not going to win, which I don't think he's saying out loud, but they know essentially. Like, what do they want to see that say, hey, this is a, a benchmark we want to get versus a top five team? Can they be opportunistic in the same way that they were at least last week? against Western Kentucky, because I think one of the silver linings, even if it didn't necessarily work out all the way that, that 
Timmy Chang and the rest of that coaching staff envisioned. They did, I mean, they, they turned the ball over well, five times last week, which isn't great, but they also had, or excuse me, six times last week, but they also had their first two takeaways of the year as well. They had an interception and they had a fumble. So I want to see whether or not they can continue to do something like that. Like, even if it ends up being a blowout victory, you know, is there maybe one instance that they can point to in the film room afterwards where, you know, maybe Michigan is, is, is driving down the field, you know, the, the Hawaii defense is bending, but then they make at least one red zone stop of some kind. I think if I could see something like that, even if it doesn't necessarily go anywhere, you know, those are the kinds of little things that I think when we talk about patience is going to be a virtue and sort of pulling all of this together on the islands, that's exactly the kind of thing that I'm talking about. So what's what's the final score here? What do you got? Or what do the advanced numbers say? Does anybody, does anybody say 70 plus for Michigan? Uh, not quite, um, but oof. Uh, SP plus <laughs> gives Michigan a 100% chance of winning this game. That should be statistic- 54.6% or 54.6 point projected margin. Uh, not the largest of the weekend, by the way. That belongs Ooh. to SMU over Lamar, I believe. Ooh, um, Lamar is so bad. Uh, FEI also likes Michigan by 41.8. That is the largest projected margin of the weekend. And uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview, gives Michigan a 100% win probability. Projected margin of roughly 52 to 3. I'll go 59-3 Michigan. <laughs> Or see me, uh, wait, th- 59. Is that a I good think- number to get in football? I don't know. Yeah, that's, uh, yeah, one field goal and six touchdowns. The nine- no, it's wait, more no, than that. Eight, eight touchdowns, 59 three. Eight touchdowns, a yeah, field goal. That sounds about right. I think yeah. the three is optimistic. I'm going 62 <laughs> to nothing or 63 to nothing. Shut out. Oh, man. You got it. Oh, fine. I think the water put points on the board. All right. Next game, we'll make it quick. Idaho State, San Diego State. We already saw the Bengals. They're not very good. They got blown out by UNLV. This game is 5 p.m. Pacific, another Mountain West uh, streaming game. BMW.com backs us watch. We said for a thousandth time. Um, what This is a game where Aztecs need to show something where maybe they can run the ball. I don't know. Maybe they this, can. This is, a, this is a get right game. Exactly. If there ever was one. They, yeah. Also, I joke, can they provide shade for this game? Because everybody seemed to be hiding from the sun last week. Uh, I honestly, I honestly think that that was overblown. And I, I say that as somebody yeah. who, I say that as somebody who lives in Fresno and has been to Bulldog Stadium multiple times when it's been over a hundred degrees. So, you know what I think you know, it was? I, I understand. I understand that it was unusually hot for San Diego. And given that, you know, this kickoff time is like what, 5 p.m. Uh, I know the weather forecast is is much much nicer as it typically is down in San Diego. I think you know everybody had their jokes. It's probably not going to be a huge deal in you know this game really, going forward. You want to know what it really was probably? Um, hey, we have a new football stadium. People that don't typically go to football games want to experience a home opener and didn't realize how there's usually not shaded outdoor football stadium because end of the week, like exactly, it's going to get like maybe like where I'm at. It's final. It's been 100 plus like you. The forecast here for me in Utah is supposed to be like upper 80s on Saturday. So mm-hmm. it's going to be cooler everywhere in the country because it's finally cooling off. But yeah, get right in this game. We What, what do you want to see for like the uh, – is Braxton Burmeister going to play? How hurt is he? Is he, is he going – is Will Haskell going to get to start? They just need to get – you're right, get things right. Running game needs to get going. Um, you got to complete those passes like the one that tip 
interception that led to an Arizona score. They seem to figure things out and like, okay, we got an opponent that's lesser than us. We need to go out there and figure out what we did wrong last week and correct it. And hopefully it stays for the weeks prior when the competition increases once they play Utah the week after on the road. Yeah, I believe that Burmeister is supposed to start in this game. So I think, you know, one thing I want to, I want to see is like, you know, give him time to throw. Like, don't let him get banged up. Don't let him take a lot of hits. But then also use this as an opportunity to get the passing game into a rhythm. Because I think it would be very easy for, you know, Brady Hook, for Jeff Eklinski, the offensive coordinator, to sort of you know, sit on the ball, you know, sort of play a, a, I guess what you might call a sort of an unassuming type of offensive game plan. But I would like to see them open it up a little bit, if only to prove that they can. It's a good, it's a good reason to do that, right? Just to show we could do this. Because again, yeah, it's- like at, at least do it early in the game. Because then if you want to, if you want to sit on the football and you want to lean on your ground game, you know, then you can turn to that same, you know, what that, that same quartet of running backs who, you know, had a handful of nice plays last week, you know, Chance Bell, Cam Davis, Jalen Armstead, Jordan Bird, mm-hmm. you know, get a little more consistency out of the ground game late, prove that you can move the ball through the air early. If, if, if I'm a fan, I think that's what I'm looking for. Well, it's also more of, I don't blame the quarterbacks as much. It's like the old, um, like the coaches put them in a bad spot mm-hmm. because the offense isn't being called well. If we, like, we can't, we can complain about the offense not being passing game, being productive or what it is, but it's also who's calling the plays. Like, I don't necessarily blame the player most of the time, sometimes a little bit here or there, but what are you calling? You have, again, you have a great receiver in Jesse Matthews, a hyped up quarterback, which, People seem to like whatever, and we'll again TBD on me because he barely played, he got hurt. But it's not the player's fault if the coaches don't call a game plan to throw the ball down, down the field, mm-hmm. or not even down the field, just open the passing game up with talent they clearly you have at some of those positions catching the ball. So that's, that's what I want to see as well. It's like get the ball thrown to a lot of different people and move it around, and just show that you have an offense. And then build on it for when they play Utah the week after, which will be a very difficult game and much tougher than Arizona. I think it's reasonable. What's your score prediction, real quick? So SP Plus does oh, yeah, like San Diego State to 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 win big. I think give them a ninety eight percent win probability. Probably not a surprise. Thirty four and a half point projected margin. Um, I mean, if UNLV can beat this team by thirty one, San Diego State should be able to beat this team by like forty. You so think I'm going to say, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. You, so you think the Aztec offense is, be, is not as better than UNLV's offense? I think they'll win 42 to 10. Answer my question. Who, San Diego State UNLV offense. <laughs> against you, against Idaho State, this offense should at least be roughly similar. That's what okay. I will say. Fine. 42 Side, to 10. Sidestep a little bit. Um, dude, I'm going 34 <laughs> 13. Sorry. Right, Finally, again, the weekend, yeah. which is, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, bold of you to assume Idaho State will score 13 points against Steve Betts. Yeah, I will. I do. All right, then. Bet the game of the week I'm most looking forward to, outside of maybe you being a UNLV Cal weirdo and wanting to watch that game quite closely like us, but that's what we do here. Oregon State at Fresno State, CBS Sports Network, 730 Pacific. Matt, are you going to this game? Are you going to watch uh, it? No, I'm going to watch at home because I pay for streaming, and it's still going to be like in the high 90s out here. Okay, fair and point. Frankly, I'm in my late 30s, and I like to be comfortable. <laughs> Dude, always choose comfort. I just want, always got to ask because that's a pretty good game. So, 
Or you no, do go to and, and also also my wife is making chicken parmesan that night. So Ooh, how am I supposed to resist that? Ah, chicken parm's good. Good choice. Oregon State is a one point favorite. Why is that the case, Matt? I don't is beating Boise State still that big of a publicity push for your team? A resume builder, as you like to call, a quality of victory. It's because both of these teams are good. That's why. I think Fresno's better. And I honestly don't I think that I think they're both very good. Yeah, true. You know, I you know, especially I th- and I think you know one of the biggest differences in, in this particular game is you know is Oregon State going to be able to cut down the mistakes, and may- and maybe conversely, you know, one thing that we didn't really see a lot of last week against Cal Poly is the Fresno State defense forcing the Mustangs into a lot of mistakes. So mm-hmm. I'm very interested, like if if Oregon State, and I know that that's something that Jonathan Smith came out this week. And, and, and talked about, you know, cutting down the mistakes. And I think in particular, getting more out of the ground game than they got last week against Boise State. You know, between that, that trio of, uh, you know, Damian Martinez, Deshaun Fenwick and Trey Lowe, you know, I believe they averaged about four yards a carry. So like, you know, they, they had a few nice runs between them, but they weren't able to really drop the hammer against the Broncos in the same way that they were often able to last year when BJ Baylor was out, you know, being the Pac-12 rushing champion. So that's something that they are aware of doing. And I think, you know, conversely, one thing I'm interested in seeing is whether the Fresno State defense can you know, continue to bottle them up. You know, because last week against Cal Poly, they had eight TFLs, you know, five pass breakups. So like they were, they were good but they didn't necessarily create the same kind of opportunities. You know, they, like, I believe, how many turnovers did Cal Poly have last week? I'm trying to look that up as I, as I talk. Uh, I don't have in front of me there, but, uh, like, they turnovers, didn't have any turnovers. They forced or given up, you mean? No, they had zero. So there were zero turnovers on either side. Okay. So that, I think, is sort of, I, I wouldn't say it's like a red flag necessarily for Fresno State in this game, but I do think it's the kind of thing that will make a difference one way or the other. Like if if Oregon State can get its running game on track, it's going to make them that much more dangerous. And if they can't, then I think then the onus is on you know whether or not Chance Nolan can prove that his home road splits from last year were a mirage, or whether like you know the the you know, the, the confidence. That, that Smith had in naming him the starter after a three-way competition is going to be justified in, in sort of putting it together on the road for a change. So that's definitely true. So one thing, I, the most, obviously, as I say this, everybody knows, yeah, that's true. That's what you talk about all the time. The best matchup, honestly, is uh, Chance Nolan versus uh, Jake Hainer, even though they technically don't face each other because they're quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. I think that 61.5 might be a, a bit too low in this game. Do you kind of agree with me on that with the amount of points and p- potential firepower each team has? I mean, maybe, but also maybe not because both of these teams have very good secondaries. That's true. And I think we, I think we saw it last week against Boise State where, you know, they forced, you know, Taylor Green and Hank Bachmeyer into what three combined interceptions. Yeah, but you that's know, also not already, JK. We already, yeah, well, it, yes and no, because when he got mm-hmm. banged up last year, that's when he was more turnover prone. But it, but it is also true that you know we knew coming into the year that the Beavers were going to you know have a, a very veteran laden secondary. You know all five guys in that secondary are back from last year when they were pretty good. You know defending the pass maybe not elite but they were strong, and they proved it 
last week against Boise State that, you know, all of those guys in that secondary stepped up and made plays at some point or another. And it is also true that the new guys that they were counting on in the front seven, you know, your, your guys like, you know, Kyrie Fisher Morris, your, you know, John McCartan coming back from injury, um, you know, all of those guys stepped up and played you know, exceptional games. And so, you know, Fresno State obviously, you know, on paper has a very good offense. But, you know, going up against this Oregon State defense is going to be a much stiffer challenge than Cal Poly was. So it, it is really hard to project, at least in my opinion, one way or the other, that that either side has a distinctive advantage. Do you have a concern about, I do a little bit about their road game, because every road matchup they played last year, Oregon State lost. They won everything at home, lost everything at road. Is that something that they could take over? That's why some people felt Boise might not win, because that research game, despite it being mightily under construction. Uh, it's probably I said that, a little bit. I think that I think is going to depend a lot on whether they can force Nolan into mistakes. Clearly. Because, because, because again, you know, we, we talked about it with the, with the Boise State New Mexico contest. So I'll just reiterate it now. They forced Nolan into two interceptions. They, you know, Boise State forced three turnovers last week. And I think, you know, even though Fresno State didn't have that same kind of success against Cal Poly, that's, that is not to say that they can't also do the same thing. Like it is still a very good secondary that, you know, held the Mustangs to what, you know, 211 yards through the air. Something you like know, that. any, any of those guys in that secondary, you know, from, from Kale Sanders Jr. to, to Cam Lockridge to Evan Williams, like they can all be opportunistic. We saw it last year. It, and so, you know, in the same way that like we, you know, Oregon State has a very good secondary. Again, it's, it's really hard to say, but I think if, if, if Fresno State can put itself on a short field and then, you know, exploit any turnovers that they create, that I think is the kind of thing that could put the onus on Oregon State's passing game, which I think is something that they don't necessarily want to do. I think they want to be balanced. They want to get more out of their ground game. And if they can't do it, if they need Nolan to win the game for them, that I think is what puts Fresno State at a potential advantage. Yeah. I also like can, if you get after Nolan, but also like this game's could be like, this could be under the radar game. Neither team is ranked. It's late at night. There's no real, what is the late marquee games? It's stupid. Texas, Alabama is middle of the day or morning, actually, for most people out here across the country. I think, that, I get, think that's the last day, the last uh, night. You got Baylor BYU going on, which is, starts about the same time. That's a pretty, two ranked teams. And could mm-hmm. be a similarly similarly type of game, I think, an action packed game between those two top twenty five opponents. So you can, if you want to flip back and forth, I was trying to see what competition is out there. But so people will be watching this game with um just looking at top twenty five, not overall, but that's like the big game at night. I just I just think this could be, this honestly might be last team to get the ball to win. Like if the secondaries. Mm-hmm. Are solid, but they make plays. That's where it's going to come down. It could literally come down to who, because it's a one point line. It's basically a pick them essentially. Fresno's at home, though, and, and a one point underdog. I think it could be like, oh, if you make just some sort of defensive stand where they're both quarterbacks, I don't think it's unrealistic to combine for 600 yards. Like I get to each run for about 300, but 280 minimum. And it could just be, oh, they make a stop because. They go forward on fourth and short, and the running back comes up short. Like we haven't mentioned Jordan Mims or at, or at Oregon State could be running the ball, but I think that's what it might come down to. The advantages each team have, they're particularly throwing the ball. That's what these teams want to do. I think Jay Kaner does a better job. 
But Oregon State seems to be, I don't know, these two teams are pretty evenly matched. Oregon State, honestly, no, no joke, could win the Pac-12. This is a team Oregon that's State, or, no, Oregon State wants to limit possessions. I think I disagree with you on that. You they think so? Want to get more out of their ground game than they got last week, because okay. I think that's the way that's the way you limit this 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 versus the offense. Yeah, clearly. Yeah, I spell they threw for what two fifty. This this game could go in any number of different directions. I'm very excited to watch it. It is, but also they didn't run the ball all that well versus Boise State either. That's that's exactly what I'm saying. I think that you know, and they are aware of that, which is why they want to get more push up front, you know. But I think you know, and that's something we haven't even mentioned too. Like the offensive line, and we mentioned it last week. It's worth mentioning again. Mm-hmm. Oregon State's offensive line was a Joe Moore Award finalist as the best in the country last year, and that's good. You know, I think for for as 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 much talent as as Fresno State has up front, and again, you know, this was I believe they had eight TFLs last week against Cal Poly. Like it could be the kind of thing that, you know, if, if they don't get a lot of push up front, like they had eight TFLs, but then you look at like who was actually getting those tackles for loss. You know, Evan, Evan Williams had a tackle, tackle and a half for loss. Malachi Langley is sort of the, you know, the, one of their linebackers, you know, Rashad Scott. So they were getting more havoc from like deeper into the defense than they were up front. And so again, yellow flag. If not necessarily red flag, like if if that defensive front can't get a lot of push up front, you know, and I'm talking like you know David Corrales, Gabriel Lightfoot, the true freshman, Leonard Payne, those guys on the defensive line, there's going to be a lot of pressure on them to play a, an exceptional game. I think to keep Oregon State from from doing what it wants to do, which is pound the rock and limit possessions, and and honestly keep. I would say you know Nolan is good. I don't know if he's bring your team back from like 10 points down, 14 points down. Good. Fair point. I don't know, man, this game, the only reason I brought up the, all the points is because I wonder while well, Oregon state wants to run the ball, like you said, but if Fresno scores quickly, if they can, they might be forced to at times, well, we got to keep pace for some reason, even though it's not always the best strategy. Mm-hmm. But like if that off like the Dolphins line, it's like if that gets going, then you're right. They could limit possessions and like because one of, they had 178 yards, one run was 41 yards. They weren't relatively they weren't explosive at all, and they were just average, not even average running the ball. So if that somehow figures things out. That's where Fresno State could be in trouble. Where you keep the ball out of Jake Kane or Jalen Cropper or Jordan Mims' hands, they can't do what they want to do offensively. But I think Fresno's just going to sling it a lot and kind of see what happens is a short answer to what's going to happen. So what's the advanced numbers say on this matchup? Split decision. Quite quite literally. uh, SP Plus likes Fresno State in this one. They give them a 60% win probability. Mm -hmm. A projected margin of 4.5 points. Uh, FEI, though, is quite literally sees this game as more or less even. Like, technically, Oregon State is favored, but it is by 0.1. X. (laughs) <laughs> and then uh, Parker Fleming, his advanced stats preview, likes Oregon State to win this one. Win probability of only 62.93%, though. Projected margin of about four points between them, 23 to 19. In favor of, of who again? In favor of Oregon State. Okay, that's what I thought you said, sir. My computer decided to vo- spout off the audio when I opened up the page. So that's why it's making sure. So who do you got? Dude, Fresno State, home team, come on. Oregon State's terrible on the road. They're not very good away from Rooster Stadium. That's like fits four people with wrecking balls everywhere. 
Uh, I'm going, let's see, the oh, the line again, just for those who remember, it's uh, minus one Oregon State, or technically plus one Fresno, 61 and a half. I think it's going to be, this is going to be, I think the over is going to happen. I think Fresno can put up, put up enough points. I'm going to go 35-31 Fresno State. Game-winning touchdown. Somewhere to, I'll go one step further, just like the UCLA game, game-winning touchdown. They'll be down 31-28, two minutes left. They'll drive down Jay Kaner to a – maybe not Jalen Cropper, but a Jay Kaner game-winning touchdown. I'll go that specific, and hopefully I'm right. <laughs> it's going to be a really good game. Watch it. That's all we're getting at, people. I think and, it's going to be closer. Ooh. I think Fresno State survives at home now. Good. I'm going to say game-winning field goal. Okay. 31 to 30. Ooh. This will be exciting. That will that will be the under for those to keep a track at home at 61 and a half points. Like I, I honestly I honestly think both of these teams have top 25 potential this year. Do you think the so winner will be ranked? Uh I mean I know that I know the Fresno State's what they're they're what 31st, 32nd in the most recent AP poll. They're both getting votes. Um, Oregon, Fresno State's above Oregon State. Oregon State's actually getting nothing. Am I correct on the AP top 25? Oh, no, they're getting five five votes. Fresno 22. Fresno's ranked higher I, in both polls, it looks like, by a couple points. Yeah, I don't know if I, – I mean, I don't know if it's going to push the Bulldogs in the top 25, but I think it'll get them a lot closer. Yeah, I think it'll be – yeah. If I'd say Fresno has a better chance because they get more points at the moment, so – We'll see how that goes. But uh, anything else to go? We had a super size show, man. We got in, like almost ni- over 90 minutes, I think. So you're welcome, I guess. That's because we had like, what, 10 games to talk about? 12 games, buddy. Everybody's in action this week. No buys. Oh, that's true. That's true. You know, Levy gave us a repeat we last week. We what they want. And also with mo- only one Friday game, we didn't break it up like last time. So, But that's it for the show. MWR.com. If you made it to the end, please let us know. Hopefully we entertained you on your long commute or whatever, or just you wait in the car an extra 20 minutes to finish instead of going into your house. Appreciate that as well. But check us out. We got all the previews up. We're doing Q&As as we speak. I'm in the process of answering some questions and posting the answers that we get from a variety of uh, teams. I got like Colorado, Cal, uh, about half, most of the FBS teams. I got everybody out here figuring things out to get some answers, questions, questions answered, I should say. So let's see how our picks do. And hopefully everybody has a good weekend. And again, MWR.com. We'll be back Sunday, probably night to recap. 12 games, and Matt, I think we need to go quicker than 90 minutes on the recap, but we'll see. No promises, right? We'll do our best. All right, until next time, we'll see you then, folks.